How many times do you think you've sung that song, those two songs? Many, many times. We are in a series called Destinations. We've gone to several different places, as you see the patches on this luggage, sort of indicating those past lessons, and also today's. And, and really, the, the focus or the angle of those lessons is, <coughs> what do those destinations represent? Or maybe uh, someone who was connected with that destination specifically, and what are some parallels? What are some lessons? What are some messages that maybe they got, and there's a parallel for us today? And that's what we'll do with Canaan. Now, of course, Abraham is our character connected to Canaan. He received the call. And that's really going to be the, the, the emphasis of our lesson, the calls of Canaan, plural. There are several calls from Canaan. Abraham got them, and we get them, and we'll try to parallel those as we go along. The first call that Abraham got and that we get is the call to leave. He grew up in Ur of, of the Chaldees. And I put Acts chapter 7, verse 2 here because this is Stephen's speech in the New Testament. But he's the one who tells us that God called Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees. The Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, is another call that, that he got later after he'd already moved on to Haran. And then the Hebrews passage, verse 8, sort of puts all that together as Abraham heard the call and obeyed and so forth. He heard the call to leave, and the text says he went, he left. Question is, what did he leave? What did he leave? And I'd like to say in a, in a kind of a broad way, he left his world, his world. Think back for just a minute, and I, I know I'm supposing a little bit here on some of the details, but I, I think they're probably accurate. Or the Chaldees is probably the place where Abraham was born. Perhaps Sarai was born as well there. And Abraham thinks that he's going to grow up there, and he's going to live there, he's going to marry there, he's going to have children there, and he's probably going to die there with his father's family and his brother's families as well. That was probably what he's thinking. And that... that scenario indeed played out for a long time because as far as I could tell he didn't get this call in Ur of the Chaldees till he's 70 years old I'm almost 70 and don't get smart with me on that okay I'm about 70 now and I thought about that what if I had grown up I was born in Dallas what if I had been I was born there and what if I grew up there and married there and stayed there for all the 70 years and then suddenly the Lord came along and said, leave. What would that be like? What was it like to Abraham? I think about all the things maybe he left. I mean, it wasn't all great life for him. You'll remember that he married Sarai. And I'm just going to suppose an age here. He was 10 years older, remember, than she was. And so if he was... 25 and she was 15 when they married at maybe 20, 30 and 20 I don't know they had been married 45 years when uh, Abraham got the call and they, you know the disappointment they could not have children 
for all those years. And, and there must have been some discomfort about that and wonder about that, not only among his family, but others in the community as well. So it wasn't everything was great, I don't think. But he had lived there for a long time, and he'd been married for a long time, and suddenly he gets the call. What is he leaving? He's leaving his world. And his world might include things like language. Some of you who've been in other countries and had to learn a language, you know the stress of that. The ability to communicate with people in Haran and later in Canaan, because his language may have been different. Certainly the weather is somewhat different, probably hot in all those places, but not exactly the same. My, my kids live in Memphis. The humidity there is a little bit different than here, but it's still hot both places, but it's a little bit different. Topography was different. Was it flat all the way around, or were there mountains? Was it different? Weather is different. It feels different. Culture is different. The way people do things, the surroundings, the, the, way, the traditions that he's leaving behind, he's, he's leaving all of that behind when the call comes to leave. And that wasn't so easy, was it? But we also are called to leave. Sounds like Jesus called to me in Luke chapter 5. You'll remember that he taught from a boat, but then he called on those fishermen you drop your nets, and you come and follow me. He was asking them to leave their world, as it were, to a large degree. They probably thought they were going to be fishermen all of their lives, too. Leave your world. And Jesus said some things to us that say that same thing. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57, as they were walking along the road, one man said, well, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another, follow me. The man said, Lord, first let me go back and bury my father, and then I'll follow you. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said to him, Lord, I'll follow you, but, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Does it sound like the Lord is saying, leave your world? I think so. Later on in Luke chapter 14, he says some very difficult words for us to think too, but we must think about them because this is our Lord Jesus that many of us have signed on to follow. When he said, if anyone would come after me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If you won't carry your cross, you can't be my disciple. If you won't renounce everything that you have, you cannot be my disciple. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. The gospel call is a call to leave and to start your trek toward Canaan. It's a call to Jesus. It's a call to his salvation, no doubt about it. 
It's a call to allow him to lead you to the promised land, but it is a call. And like the call of Abraham, it means your world will at least adjust, if not change dramatically. Many of you are Christians, and when you became Christians, some of you had to adjust your relationships. Because those in your relationships that you were close to might have said, no thanks, I'm not going that way. Maybe some of you even lost some relationships. You probably had to adjust your pursuits. You went from, okay, I'm looking for the most glitz and the most greed. I'm looking for pride and prestige and power. And you went from that to submission and surrender to the Lord Jesus and to others as well. That's a huge leave of your world. And you may have lost people and positions and, and the respect of others. Because remember, even Jesus said that when we do our lives the way he says, the world will hate you because it hated me. So that which we leave is significant. Some of you probably made choices in regard to who your friends were from then on. Or maybe even whom you married. You left your world. Just like he did. Maybe you chose to change the brand of your entertainment. It meant, in essence, submitting your personal views, your personal desires, your personal plans, your relationships to the lordship of Jesus completely. In complete obedience to his word. You put every possession in his possession to do with as he saw fit, every pursuit, and you chose to leave and obey. You chose to leave all that behind because the promise of Canaan was significant that he made to you. The call of Canaan is to leave. And so first of all, to those of us who are Christians, do you need to make some adjustments in what you've left or not left? That's why we meet together for one reason, to, to encourage one another, even as, even as the Hebrew writer says, to provoke one another to love and good works. As we examine ourselves in the Lord's Supper, we think, well, are there adjustments that I need to continue to make as a Christian? But I'm also looking at an audience that I know there are people who have not left at all. Are there spouses of Christians here? That you have come to church with your spouse for years and you have not left your world. You've not made that choice. And you think there could be a lot of reasons why you haven't. Maybe you know you should. You've heard enough sermons. You're convicted in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. You just haven't moved. You haven't left. Today is the day. Do not leave this auditorium without leaving your world first to be Jesus. And for the rest of us who are Christians, will we make our adjustments to receive the call to leave that which we should be leaving? But the second call that Abraham got and that we get is the call to persevere. I mean, once he's leaving his land and he goes to Canaan, he, he didn't just... 
call up Canaan Airlines and hop a quick overnight flight to Bethlehem. And he didn't put all of his stuff over to FedEx and it shows up the next day before he gets there and his fully furnished house in Bethlehem. That's not how it happened. It's by camel and foot that he goes to a place called Haran. Hundreds of miles. Not an easy trip, I'm sure. Stayed there five years, apparently. Lost his father there. Not easy. As far as I can tell from the Old Testament text, he will never go back to visit his father's grave. Leaves his brother there and goes on. Perseverance? For the five years, was he received very well in Haran? Well, he's an outsider. Probably didn't get in like he was in Ur. But he gets to Canaan and it's even worse. Because remember, he begins to, he begins to have flocks and herds of significance. And the competition for water, for grass, for space could have been significant. There were people there who saw him as a threat. Remember, he had to gather an army of about 300 and, what was it, 18 men? When Lot got taken by those kings and he had to go after that. This man is getting rich. He's a threat to those people. And how do, how do they look at him? They probably look at him like later on, two generations later, when Jacob was sojourning in this same land. And he kept digging wells, Remember? He kept digging wells because his sheep herders would be in conflict with the herders of the land and they had to move on. And they had to move on because he was a threat. I'm guessing that was the way it was with Abraham. Perseverance. Perseverance. He is a threat to them. Oh, and they might be a threat to him. Remember Lot was captured. Could Abraham befall the same problem? Could be. Safety and security are significant issues to him as he is an alien and a sojourner in this land. And even though he was in Canaan, it wasn't his yet, and it really never will be. He was an alien in their land. You and I, too, are called upon to persevere. Remember our recent series out of 1 Peter where where Peter kept telling us you are an alien in this world. You are a sojourner like unto Abraham. And it is Peter who says while you are a sojourner while you are persevering, listen to me. He says 1 Peter 4.12 Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised that you need to persevere because the trials are coming. Paul, in his first missionary journey, after he established the churches in what we now call Turkey, Asia Minor, he he went back through those churches and he established elders in every place. But one of the things he told them in Acts 14.22 is, we will go through many hardships, many hardships, until we enter into the kingdom of heaven. He's telling them, Christianity is wonderful. Forgiveness is blessed. The Spirit, what a gift. But you will have to persevere because hardships are coming. 
Trials are coming. That's no surprise to you, is it? But sometimes we act like it is. Paul will tell the infant church in Thessalonica in chapter 3 because he's undergone some persecutions himself. And he's getting ready to leave, and he makes this statement. So that no one will be unsettled by these trials, you need to remember what I've told you, that we are destined for them. They are a part of our Christian existence. It's not just for this church over here or this church over here, and you will avoid those. It's there for you. Many hardships, many trials and temptations will come our way for a lot of reasons. For a reason that we lived in a cursed earth, whether that's sickness or disease or hardship of of what we have to try to get through in this world with not enough rain or too much rain or whatever, all the aspects of a cursed earth come down on us, come down on everybody, but they come down on us too. And then because, as I said a little while ago, we are the light of the world. Jesus was the light of the world, and he said, they're going to hate you because they hated me. But he used the example of the light in John chapter 3. He says, when the light comes into the darkness and exposes the darkness, the darkness does not like it. And because it doesn't like for you to shine the light on their evil and their malevolent character, it will persecute you. It will try to demean you. It will try to dismiss you. It will try to undermine your ministry because it can't stand the light. Now, persevere in a difficult world. That's that's true. But I, I want us to understand that there is a sense in which we, like Abraham, are in Canaan, though not quite yet. But So there's this dichotomy. There is, we are there, not quite, but we're undergoing trials and tribulations. Listen to the Hebrew writer as he describes us now. Because it sounds like Canaan, the above, the heavenly abode. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly." To the church of the firstborn ones, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a stronger word than the words of than the blood of Abel. Hebrews chapter 12, 22 through 24. So we're there. But not quite. A lot like Abraham. So until we reach the true Canaan, the writers are telling us, hang on. Hold up. Don't give up. James will tell his his recipients, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into manifold trials, knowing that the proving of your faith works. Now, some translations say patience, but the word is perseverance. Trials work perseverance so that you may be perfect and entire, lacking in nothing. Paul will tell his recipients in the book of Romans, chapter 5, a chapter in which 
He's talking about a lot of blessings, wonderful blessings, that we would say, amen, yes, yes, that's great stuff. But then in verse 3, he says, oh, and not only is that so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. So the New Testament writers want us to know, yes, trials are coming, and they can produce perseverance. But one more passage in Romans makes it clear of this dichotomy. This powerful text at the end of Romans 8 makes it clear that both elements are there. The trials that, that are going to force us to persevere, but the sense of we're already there as well. He gets to the end of chapter 8 and he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ Jesus that died, yea, rather was raised from the dead, who's at the right hand of the Father, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or anguish, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Even as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We were counted as sheep of the slaughter. Ah, but nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Persecutions, yes. Perseverance, yes. But victors at the same time. That's that dichotomy. We have to hold on. We have to persevere. We're not there yet. And so, the third call is, because we have to persevere, we got to trust. we got to have faith. This word faith has, has been an object of my study and consideration a long time. Maybe because I get to teach Romans in the school. But faith is a little bit of a slippery term for me. I, I have a hard time just saying, I know what, I know what Hebrews 11:1 1 says. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And if that communicates everything to you, I'm fine. But actually that chapter had to go on and say, now this is what faith looks like. This is what faith looks like in this character's life and this character's life and so forth. And that's what I need. I need the Bible to say, this is what faith looks like. This is what faith is. And the New Testament tells me what Abrahamic faith is like in several passages. Hebrews 11, Romans 4, James 2, Galatians 3. Probably read the references I haven't thought of. So Abrahamic faith, what is it? What is it? Well, when I looked at what I think is his faith, there are some things that are, that are correct about his faith, and they parallel to us. He believed that what Jesus told him, sorry, what the Father told him in the visions and the appearances was absolutely true. He didn't think, well, what's he holding back? What's he not telling me? Is there more to it? Is he just trying to... to persuade me to do this 
because if he told me the rest of this, I wouldn't do it? Is he trying to manipulate me with half-truths like I tried to manipulate Pharaoh and Abimelech by saying Sarah's my half-sister or my sister? No. He didn't believe that about God. He's telling me the truth. He's not only telling me the truth, he's making promises. And they are grand and glorious and good. I mean, they're, they're magnificent. Not only are they that, I believe, Abraham does, that God has the power to bring those about. Make of me a great nation? Bless the whole world through my original, uh, eventual offspring? Are you kidding me? He said, no, God's not kidding me. That's what faith was. He believed so much in this that even when the odds were against the promises, he still chose to believe. When he wasn't having a child for 30 years after the original promise, he's still believing. At age 100, he's still believing. That's faith. And then when the child was born, Isaac was, and became a young man, the Lord said, offer him, kill him as a sacrifice, Hebrew writer says he believed that God could raise him from the dead if that's what God wanted to do. Faith, when the odds were against him, when things didn't make sense. Faith that God would take care of him all through this sojourn, this alien sojourn that he was experiencing. So indeed, his faith was the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But we're called upon to trust as well. On our journey, we're called upon to trust Him. That began our journey, did it not? For all of us who are Christians, we were called upon to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. What a huge step that was. When most of the world, most of the religions said, no, He wasn't. We chose to believe He was the Son of God. And we chose to believe when we were immersed in water, he would be there because he's alive. And he would wash us clean, which we didn't see. We didn't sense. We didn't feel. We couldn't prove it. Except that's what he said. We're banking on the veracity of who Jesus is and the efficacy of his cross and the blood. Or we're lost. We're forgotten. It's ridiculous that you're even here, if that's not true. And then once becoming a Christian, so many of the New Testament letters are, are calling upon the saints, hang in there, you're persevering, you've got to trust, you're undergoing difficulties. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. John's going to tell his people in Revelation, and they're undergoing significant persecution, you be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. That just echoes the proverbial writer's great passage in the Old Testament. Trust in the Lord with all your strength and lean not upon your own understanding. Trust. Faith. It's where we begin and it's where we will continue our life, our trek toward Canaan. So while we traipse through on our sojourn, while we're headed toward Canaan land, we too will believe that his proclamations, his word, 
His words are absolutely true. And His promises are grand and glorious and good, are they not? They're, they're amazing. Things we can't see or even almost imagine. And we believe that He has the power to bring those about. Even to raise us and to give us what He's promised. The Lord's capable of fulfilling every promise. And we too, like Abraham, are responding with an obedient faith. So that when we lay our heads down to close our eyes for the very last time, we will smile in peace because we believe there awaits us a land flowing with milk and honey, the land of Canaan. The call is to trust again today. But our last one, we're not through. Abraham had a call and we have a call to inherit Abraham's descendants were to inherit the land. Abraham, in a sense, is going to inherit it, but not really. It's going to be for the Israelites some 400 years later. The Hebrew writer writes it this way, and and the reason I want to read this is I want you and I to hear what the patriarchs believed, not just about Canaan, the land they could touch and put their feet on, but something they saw beyond, which is quite amazing. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham's looking forward to the city. I think he's talking about heaven. These all died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiled on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, or the Chaldees, they could have gone back, but they didn't. As it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. And so God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. I don't know what exactly Abraham knew, but I think he understood that his sojourn in Canaan was not the ultimate Canaan even for him. And that is certainly true for us. That dichotomy I talked about, we have all spiritual blessings, we have wonderful things happening now, but the promises are something else beyond. Jesus (coughs) told his followers, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, you do. Well, believe in me also. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. For you. And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and get you and take you to be with me so that where I am, there you may be also. Could you guarantee that, Jesus? Yes. Ephesians chapter 1, 13, 14. I'm going to send the Spirit into your hearts. And that Spirit is a guarantee of an inheritance that is waiting for you. Ephesians chapter 1. 
Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified with him. And when I think about, I'm paraphrasing that last part here. When I think about the sufferings of this world, they don't even add up to what's waiting for us. They don't even compare with what's waiting for us. And of course, back to 1 Peter, because we studied that. Listen to this one more time. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Hear this. Kept in heaven for you. That's the promise. That's the call from Canaan, to come and claim your inheritance. It waits for us. It has been prepared. You hear about a robe in Revelation. You hear about a crown uh, or a wreath in 1 Corinthians or 2 2 Timothy chapter 4. But whatever it is, it's the land flowing with milk and honey. And the best part is, the Lord's there. And he's waiting. Canaan. Our ultimate destination. When I was a youngster, <coughs> Sunday morning would come along. I was getting ready for church. Usually got ready a little early, I guess. I was ready to go. I wanted to go. And a lot of times on Sunday morning, <coughs> playing on our hi-fi, we didn't have a stereo, were LPs, records, those things that are coming back. And usually those records were one of several things. It was Harding University choir singing hymns because the chorus had come through. And or ACU's chorus because it had come through and we bought records. Beautiful hymns. Or maybe I was listening to Tennessee Ernie Ford. And he was singing when they ring those golden bells. You may not know that song. There's a land beyond the river that we call the sweet forever. And we only reach that shore by faith's decree. One by one, we'll gain the portals as we dwell with the immortals. When they ring those golden bells for you and me. Don't you hear the bells are ringing? Don't you hear the angels singing? Tis a glory, hallelujah, jubilee. In that far off sweet forever, just beyond the shining river, when they ring those golden bells for you and for me. The call of Canaan. If you haven't answered that call to leave initially, please do that this morning. For the rest of us, make those adjustments. Persevere. Strengthen your faith. And look forward to the inheritance that is a sure thing.